this is Sally welcoming you to the 2225th edition of the Enfield Talking newspaper, dateline the 5th of March 2020. The readers this week are Colin, Geoffrey, Joan and Sally with Ian on the controls. The editor was Sally and the production and distribution team is Alan and Ali. Our title music is Country Rock Poker, composed by Pat Prilly, Fernand Bouillon, Harry Brewer and performed by Jean-Jacques Perry and is used with his kind permission. The local news stories that we will be reading come from the Enfield Independent and the Enfield Dispatch and are under their copyright. The events information has been collated by us from other sources. The lead story this week... Council's £2 billion spending spree will double borrowing. Before the news, we have first the sunrise and sunset times for the week beginning Monday the 9th of March 2020. Sunrise at 06.27 and sunset at 17.55. Do get in touch with us to share your own news and special announcements. We love to hear from you. If you have any comments about the Enfield Talking newspaper, please phone Diane de Jersey on 0208 805 6578. She is your listener's representative and will be pleased to help you. Now Joan will read the first item of local news. Council's two billion spending spree will double borrowing. Fears over financial risk taken by local authority. Enfield Council has agreed a new capital programme that includes unashamedly ambitious plans to spend more than £2 billion on various projects over the next decade. The bulk of the investment is in new homes and associated infrastructure, with £520 million earmarked for the Council's flagship redevelopment project, Meridian Water, including a £156 million government grant awarded to the Edmonton Housing Scheme last summer. The local authority is also planning to build 3,500 council homes across the whole borough, requiring... £656 million in borrowing over the next 10 years. Other investments include £21 million on school expansion work at Durant's, West Lee and Springfield schools as part of nearly £93 million in planned spending on education. Another £71 million is earmarked for improvements to highways over the next 10 years. £47 million on redeveloping Montague Industrial Estate, £10 million on expanding cemeteries and £5 million on installing LED street lamps. Serious concerns have been voiced, however, over the amount of risk being taken by the council. Projected borrowing levels have doubled, with the council needing to secure £1.22 billion in loans to fund its capital investment plans between now and 2030. This comes on top of existing borrowing, which has increased by 52% over the last two years, from £597 million at the start of 2018 to 90 to 911 million at the start of 2020 opposition conservative councillors claim rampant borrowing which comes after a government imposed cap was lifted in 2018 leaves the authorities vulnerable to a rise in interest rates Problems could also arise if the council is unable to meet its projected returns on investment or fails to make its scheduled cost savings, while council documents warn uncertainty over Brexit 
may result in volatility in the property market, consequently impacting the capital strategy. I have two items. The subheading of the first one is Arnest Grove, and the main heading reads Kids Help Run Community Cafe. And indeed, there is a picture of two youngsters, obviously very enthusiastic and behind a counter. And the detail below the picture are Wesley's school pupils are gaining work experience at Palmer's Greenery. The article reads, Students from a special needs school are helping to run a cafe in Broomfield Park. The pupils from Broomfield campus of Wesley's school are running Palmer's Greenery Community Cafe every Tuesday as part of a partnership which enables the cafe to open for an extra day each week and indeed for pupils to gain work experience. One student said, I like working at the cafe because it is challenging, but it's not really too hard. We get to meet new people and sometimes we even eat cake, which is jolly great. I love serving customers and getting to know them. My favourite thing is to make hot chocolates. Palmer's Greenery is a not-for-profit business run by volunteers. Surplus income is reinvested back into the park and related projects. Co-founder Sarah Cotton says, We are delighted we've been able to build a partnership with West Lee, and that brings great benefits to both parties. My other subheading is Palmer's Green, and the main reading is Fire Safety Fine. Management company Harper Stone Properties Limited has admitted to fire safety failings following a blaze at a block of flats in Green Lanes. The company was fined £20,000 and ordered to pay £10,000 in costs at Westminster Magistrates Court last month. The August 2016 fire broke out in a common stairwell of a four-storey black a four-storey block and spread to the third floor, preventing residents from leaving the main stairs. While the premises had an external metal staircase to the rear, not all flats had access to it. Several people had to be rescued by firefighters, but fortunately no one was hurt. Outcry over threat to Borough's precious jewel. Labour councillors were heckled over their response to a petition signed by more than 3,500 people urging them to protect an area of green beltland. They faced cries of, you should be ashamed and that's the end of my Labour support from residents in a packed public gallery at a meeting of Enfield's full council on Wednesday the 26th of February. The petition calls on the council to protect White Webb's golf course and surrounding woodland, which the local authority wants to lease out to a third-party provider. It makes five requests of the council aimed at protecting public access to the land, restricting development and ensuring there is full public consultation before any proposals are agreed. Speaking at Wednesday's meeting at the Civic Centre, lead petitioner Sean Wilkinson told councillors, You are custodians, not owners, of this precious jewel. It is your responsibility to guard it for the people of Enfield, not to hive it off to the rich and powerful with token and unenforced lease terms. 
Mr Wilkinson pointed out that the park provides a range of health and environmental benefits and claimed the council could make more money from the course by improving its facilities. He criticised the council for a dreadful policy of secrecy, minimum publicity, misleading and contradictory statements, claiming this had led to a deep level of mistrust. Mr Wilkinson was one of the first to raise concerns over the initial marketing material for White Webs, which said the site had capacity for 150,000 to 200,000 cubic metres of inert material, which could include building waste. The council later admitted this was a mistake and the document was amended. Council leader, Councillor Nezel Kaliskan, told the meeting the council had lost £960,000 on the golf course over the past five years. She said, we simply cannot justify continuing on the path we are on at a time when we're having to find millions of pounds for adult social care and children's services. It would be deeply irresponsible. <clears throat> Councillor Kaliskan said there had been a lot of misinformation about the course and the council had made a very clear commitment we are going to enhance the space at White Webs. Councillor Hass Yusuf said the council would adhere to all five of the points in the petition and accused the party's opponents of spreading fake news about the course during the general election period. But Conservative leader Councillor Joanne Laban claimed the council's communication on white webs had been dire. She added, Can we have a further commitment that you will engage with the community? And if they dislike what has come forward, you will say no to that bid? Despite further reassurances from Labour councillors that the land would be protected, they made no explicit commitment to refuse a bid that the community disliked. Labour councillors voted to commission further investigation on the matter and refer the petition to Enfield's Executor Director of Place, the Conservatives voted against. The administration's decision was met with loud heckling from supporters of the petition sat in the public gallery. Neighbours frustrated by missed bin collections. Enfield Council has blamed a spate of missed refuse collections on parked cars blocking access for waste crews. Christine Vincent, who lives in Mandeville Road, Enfield Lock, says she has been battling since September last year to get regular bin collections in her street. Ms Vincent said she had repeatedly lodged complaints with the council, but the problem, affecting blue, green, brown and black bins, kept happening. Sometimes the collections are missed altogether, while at other times collection crews turn up on different days, she said. Miss Vincent said the problem affects homes at 1 to 26 Mandeville Road, as well as houses and flats in nearby Newport Close. She said, why should the hundred or so houses and flats suffer missed collections every week? We pay our council tax the same as everyone else. I am extremely frustrated with this problem, especially as we now have to pay for our green bin collection on top of our council tax, which I thought included collection of household waste anyway. When we go over to fortnightly collections, it may be that we only get our black bin collected once a month. Miss Vincent claimed she had been told some refuse wagons were too wide to access her part of the road, but she pointed out... The council could solve the problem by sending smaller lorries instead. An Enfield Council spokesperson said collections had been missed because crews had been prevented from accessing the road. The spokesperson said, We appreciate it is frustrating for residents when their bins are not collected, in the case of Mandeville Road, 
At times, our crews have been prevented from accessing the roads because of parking. When this happens, we revisit the street on a regular basis until bins can be collected. We are conducting an operational review which will be completed in the near future to look at ways of improving access to this road so that bin collections can be done without interruption. In the meantime, we would like to thank residents for their forbearance and patience. This next article is entitled Strings Attached and it's about the um, concert from Winchmore String Orchestra. There's no shortage of amateur symphony orchestras in North London. Much rarer are amateur string orchestras. But one has become a prominent feature of the musical landscape well beyond its own borough of Enfield. With the start of a new decade, Winchmore String Orchestra, WSO, has a new home for rehearsing and performing. This is Southgate Methodist Church in the Bourne, where its next concert will be held on Saturday, 21st of March. The orchestra was founded in 1991 by the late professional violinist and teacher Stanley Lischak, with his viola-playing wife, Bertha, who is now its president. It has a core membership of more than two dozen, most of whom live in Enfield and Barnet. Though some come from as far afield as Croydon. Concerts are also boosted by guest players. Under the baton of conductor Michael Colby since 2018, WSO normally gives three concerts a year, with a repertoire ranging from Baroque, classical, romantic and 20th century genre to less familiar output, including occasional music by local composers. While the amount of music written specifically for string ensembles is modest compared to that for full orchestras, there is a large body of works that has been adapted for them. A string orchestra has a distinctive sonority. An audience member at one WSO concert said afterwards, I thought this was a wonderful concert and I certainly didn't miss the sound of wind or percussion. At its March concert, WSO will play a Bach concerto for violin and oboe, a part of Tchaikovsky's Serenade for Strings, Mozart's Graceful Symphony No. 29, and two quintessentially English works of the last century, Hulse Brook, Green Sweet, and Russell's Sweet for Strings, inspired by folk tunes. Like most amateur orchestras, WSO is funded by member subscriptions and ticket sales, and through a registered charity, it raises funds for other charities through raffles held at its concerts The beneficiaries are nominated by its soloists and range from well-known medical charities to local organisations. Over the past 10 years, WSO has collected a total of around £14,000. Okay, the next heading is Fewer Questions Allowed in Meetings. And this refers, of course, to council meetings. The subheading says only 15 questions per party will be allowed. And Simon Allen writes, Residents should be very concerned about a cut in the number of questions that can be asked at full council meetings. The opposition leader has said, Councillor, a Conservative leader, Councillor Joanne Laban, who is at Highlands Ward, warned the change which was approved at Enfield's full council on Wednesday, February the 25th, could have an impact on the scrutiny of decision-making. Under previous rules, 
each political party could table 20 questions at full council meetings. But a change in Enfield Council's constitution means that now only 15 questions per party will be allowed at future meetings. Councillor Laban said councillors often asked questions on behalf of residents when they have been unable to get a direct response from officers. Speaking after Wednesday's meeting, she said, when you have tried and tried for a residence through an internal inquiry, publishing it publicly allows the cabinet minister to sort it out. It is really an important part of scrutiny. You don't get prime minister's questions being axed and the Secretary of State still has to do a briefing to the House. I think people should be very concerned about what is happening at this council. Councillor Laban said Labour administration had proposed cutting the number of questions to 10, but had agreed to settle on 15 as a compromise. And she pointed out that before 2014, there were no limits on the number of questions that could be tabled. Whilst questions are usually not asked in the council chamber, they are published in a written form alongside the responses in a public reports pack. The Conservative leader said it costs money, but at the end of the day, the council uses other people's money, so it has to be clear and transparent, and they need to be held to account for what is effectively public expenditure. The changes were opposed by the Conservative group, but will go ahead after members of the majority Labour group voted in favour. Council leader, Councillor Nezil Chaliban, who is in the Labour ward at Jubilee, said there are a number of ways elected members hold the administration to account and contribute to shaping council policy, including attending the various committee meetings, taking up opportunities to provide deputation and submitting questions to members' inquiries. Transport for London to prioritise Piccadilly upgrade. Upgrading signalling on the Piccadilly line is the number one priority for Transport for London, according to the network's boss. Commissioner Mike Brown said the increase to capacity would be like an entirely new service in London. Modern signalling allows more trains and a more reliable service on London underground lines, meaning the Piccadilly could run services every 90 seconds. Transport for London has already commissioned 94 new trains to replace the 50-year-old rolling stock on the line, which stops at four tube stations in the borough. The first are expected in 2023. Their design will allow 12% more passengers to board than the current trains, but total capacity could be boosted by 60% with a more regular service. The proposed £2.45 billion signalling upgrade was shelved in 2018 when TfL tightened the purse strings in an effort to cut its budget deficit. It would allow 21,000 more passengers to use the line every hour. London Assembly member Joanne McCartney, who represents Enfield and Haringey, said the difference between the Piccadilly and Victoria lines was now very stark. She said it would be completely bonkers if new trains ran on the line for years 
without a signalling upgrade. The Piccadilly line also carries more people to Heathrow than any other rail service to any other airport anywhere in the world. Joanne said, For my part of North London, this is our main route into Heathrow, the UK's biggest airport, and it's also the most affordable route. Mike Brown added, Even when we get the Elizabeth Line, Crossrail, serving Heathrow directly, there will be an absolute imperative to ensure the Piccadilly line is fit for purpose. We really have to remind people the tube upgrade isn't complete. Call to to declare crime emergency. Independent London mayoral candidate Rory Stewart has called on Sadiq Khan to declare a crime emergency in the capital. There were 149 homicides in London last year, the highest number in more than a decade. Robbery has risen 73% in four years. Theft from the person is up 56% and there were more than 15,000 knife crimes in 2019. On Wednesday the 26th of February, Mr Stewart wrote to the Mayor to demand more action to combat violent crime. The former Conservative MP says Mr Khan should commit that crime will fall and detection rates will rise with measurable targets to ensure this happens. Every new Met officer will be put out on the streets in uniform to tackle the emergency. All extra funds from the Mayor's council tax hike will go straight to street policing. Budgets for all other Met units should be frozen. Police will go to the homes of anyone who is burgled and a detective will investigate every robbery. The independent mayoral hopeful wants members of the public who agree with his approach to add their signature to his letter. Former Met Borough Commander Jerry Campbell has backed Mr Stewart's call for action and wants the Mayor to urgently declare a street crime emergency. Mr Campbell said the police have to be allowed to get on with their job, with the Mayor 100% behind their efforts to bring down crime on our streets. But this mayor is not focused, he does not set clear targets and he does not back up his officers. Mr Stewart says he would double the number of local police in the capital if elected mayor and introduce a London youth service to get youngsters volunteering in their communities. A spokesperson for Sadiq Khan said Mr Stewart's letter demonstrated unbelievable hypocrisy. She said, Londoners have not forgotten that as Tory MP, Rory Stewart voted for every single package of cuts to the Met Police and youth services in London since 2010, never once voting against them. He seems to have only now realised the consequences of his actions. She said Mr Khan was not playing pointless political games but funding 1,300 extra police and investing £70 million in London youth services. Conservative candidate Sean Bailey wants tougher stop and search powers. He is calling for an extra 2,300 police officers in the capital and says he would reopen all 33 police stations closed by the current mayor. Liberal Democrat Siobhan Benita says trial legislation of cannabis in the capital is the best way to strip power from drugs, gangs and stop violence. She's also called for police stations to reopen in local communities and wants to double local police. Green candidate Sean Berry wants citizens' assemblies to debate the role of the police so all Londoners feel they can trust the Met. She would also reverse cuts to youth services. This is an article celebrating female composers. 
Enfield Choral Society's musical director, Mark Sproson, looks ahead to this month's concert in Winchmore Hill. Open a brochure for many a classical concert venue and you will struggle to find more than one or two female names. A few contemporary composers may feature, but the vast majority of pieces are likely to be by men. On one level, this is understandable. There are hardly any well-known works by female composers, and concert promoters have to programme familiar pieces to pull in the punters. But this is a chicken-and-egg situation. Pieces by female composers aren't played because they're not well-known enough, but they'll never become well-known because they're never performed. To try to break the cycle, this month, Enfield Choral Society will be performing a concert entirely consisting of pieces by women. We have combed through music libraries and online resources to find pieces that deserve to be heard more often. One difficulty for amateur choirs is a lack of ability of scores. So we have printed copies for ourselves, which will be made available to other choirs, hopefully encouraging further performances. Some names will be familiar through their association with established composers. Fanny Mendelssohn, the older sister of composer Felix, was an accomplished pianist and composer, but was discouraged from pursuing a career as her brother's success grew. Nevertheless, she published numerous works throughout her life, mostly under her married name, Hensel. Claire Vieck had enjoyed similar success, but when she married Robert Schumann, she almost completely gave up composing. During the late 19th and early 20th centuries, it became more accepted that women could follow musical careers. In the UK, Essel Smith was one of the first women to achieve real critical success with concertos, choral works and operas regularly performed. Later in life, however, she became involved in the women's suffrage movement and set aside her musical career in favour of a political one. Our concert includes her rousing anthem, March of the Women. Born in the same year in France, Melanie Bonis composed throughout a long life and was accepted by one of the leading music publishers. Also in France, sisters Lily and Nadia Boulanger both pursued a musical education with great success. Sadly, Lily died at the age of 24, but not before winning the coveted Prix du Rome Composition Prize. Her sister went on to be one of the most renowned teachers of composition, teaching many famous names, such as Aaron Copeland, Philip Glass, Astor Piazzolla and Quincy Jones. Today, women are increasingly playing major roles in music and our concert ends with works by two contemporary British composers, Janet Wheeler and Cecilia McDowell, to give an exciting and varied musical evening. Please join us in what we hope will be the first of many programmes featuring female composers. The next item is headed up in very large print, Why We Staged Council Chamber Protest, and Julia Reeves from Extinction Rebellion, Enfield, explains the group's frustration at Enfield Council's climate inaction. At a full meeting of Enfield Council in January, rebels from the local group of Extinction Rebellion briefly disrupted proceedings to remind councillors of the climate crisis and their notable lack of action following the emergency they declared last July. We stood up in the chamber to read out a declaration explaining why we felt compelled to take this disruptive action. 
We pointed out that while the Council had committed to net zero carbon emissions by 2030, six months on, this target was being treated with a severe lack of urgency. We highlighted that in this time, the Council has met just twice to discuss the issue and there has been no commitment to switching renewable energy in order to reduce its own carbon footprints. Uh, At this point in the article, there is a note which says, see editor's note at the end of the article. And the editor's note reads, shortly before going to press, the council announced its corporate buildings will start using green electricity from October. However, the article goes on to say, or to divest the council's pension fund investment away from fossil fuel companies within a set time frame. In addition, the local authority continues to support plans for the rebuilding of Edmonton Incinerator instead of considering more environmentally sound options. When complete, the new incinerator is set to release up to 700,000 tonnes of carbon dioxide a year. I'll I'll just repeat that. 700,000 tonnes of carbon dioxide a year adversely affecting air quality and particularly impacting on some of the borough's poorest residents. Extinction Rebellion Enfield has had several meetings and email communications with the council since it declared its climate emergency and as well as asking for a switch to a renewable power supply and pension fund divestment, the group has also asked for a baseline to be established for the Council's carbon emissions so that this may be used to measure progress towards achieving the net zero carbon emission target. None of these requests have been met with action. Instead, the council has said that it would take a year to finalise a strategy and it moves slowly because it is such a large organisation with over 8,000 employees. Despite this, only one part-time consultant has been assigned to address the issue. In our view... This does not reflect the desperate urgency of the situation. The council has made its declaration and benefited from being seen to do the right thing with regard to climate crisis. But so far, its commitment is hollow because nothing tangible has been put in place. The rebels who disrupted the council meeting said that Wearing the badge of climate change without taking concrete action is nothing short of greenwashing. An interesting word, greenwashing. Highlands, extra flats plan rejected. People living in a block of flats hit out at plans to build extra floors on top of their properties. Residents of Avalon Close in Highlands warned the scheme, designed to create eight more flats, would affect their privacy, light and outlook, as well as put their health and well-being at risk. Officers from Enfield Council had recommended approving planning permission for the plans submitted by Oskan Hassan to add a part third, part fourth floor to the existing blocks. They said the council had already approved a similar scheme at nearby Hansart Way, so it would be hard to justify turning this one down. However, last month planning committee members rejected the plans after hearing objections 
from neighbours who stood to be affected by the scheme. Avalon Close resident Joe Kernett told councillors the submitted plans will result in the removal of our bathroom windows and increased noise from new neighbours alongside and above our properties. How would you feel if someone decided they would build on top of your home and all around it, removing your view, privacy, quiet, light, even your bathroom window? Another resident, Sally Mantel, said, Residents are seriously worried about any increase in service charges resulting from additional maintenance costs. Can the council, in all conscience, price people out of their own homes? The application was referred to the planning committee by Highlands Ward's Conservative councillors, Joanne Laban, Lee David Sanders and Glynis Vince. Committee member Mike Rye agreed with the objections and said it is essentially just trying to cash in and create some extra units to make some profit. Another small item on the same page is headed Winchmore Hill Burglary Hotspot. The N21 postcode area has one of the highest burglary rates in the UK, according to new data on insurance claims. Research from Money Supermarket put N21 fourth on a list of postcodes based on how many households had made claims following a burglary. The rate for N21 over the last year was 50.13 burglary claims per thousand home insurance payouts, compared to the UK average of 16. It was the highest rate in London. One explanation could be the large proportion of houses in the area, which are said to be 70% more likely to be burgled than flats. Scheme creates safer streets around schools. Two school streets officially opened last week, making the environment surrounding the schools healthier and safer. Oakthorpe Primary School in Palmer's Green and St Monica's Catholic Primary School near Southgate officially became Enfield's first participants in the scheme. The school street is when the roads immediately surrounding a school are closed to motor traffic. They operate Monday to Friday in term time during set periods at drop-off and pick-up. The areas remain open to pedestrians, cyclists, permit holders and residents. Enfield Council's Deputy Leader, Councillor Ian Barnes, joined the parents, pupils and staff at Oakthorpe during the morning drop-off on Wednesday the 26th of February. He said school street schemes offer a solution to tackle air pollution and to make roads around schools less dangerous. They also provide a more harmonious atmosphere for residents and school staff who all too often have to deal with disruption caused by congestion and badly parked cars. The participating schools will be encouraged to help their pupils to take up other forms of active travel, such as cycling. Enfield Council will continue to offer cycle-confident classes to all primary schools. This is also available to anyone who lives or works in the borough. Councillor Barnes added, I'd like to congratulate Oakthorpe and St Monica's for taking proactive steps to work with the local community and Enfield Council to help create a better environment and encourage healthier and more active travel. In addition, programmes like these support the aims of the Climate Action Enfield. The Deputy Leader chairs the Climate Change Task Force, which is holding a public meeting on March the 19th. Attendees can find out more about Climate Action Enfield and plans for the Council to become carbon neutral by 2030. The next item is quite brief, but certainly of great importance. It's headed up NHS 
and it comes from HM Government. It reads, Coronavirus Public Information. The government and NHS are well prepared to deal with this virus. You can help too. The best way to protect yourself and others is wash your hands with soap and water or use a sanitizer gel regularly throughout the day. Second item, catch your cough or sneeze in a tissue, bin it and remember, wash your hands. If you have recently arrived back from specified areas, follow the returning traveller advice and you can check the list of areas and find out more at nhs.uk forward slash coronavirus. Now for a sporting item. Enfield Town's Community Goals. Andrew Warshaw on how charity status is helping the football club's community arm do more locally. Enfield Town Football Club has broken significant new ground by separating out its community work from the running of the football club. An independent company, Enfield Town Football Club Community Sports Development, was established in 2017. It has now been granted charity status, enabling it to apply for various types of grants and funding. In recent years, thanks to the effort of the football club's board of directors and a string of volunteers, the club has slowly but surely built up its community role in line with its vision of being an inclusive club for all and a football and social centre for the community. A series of events are now planned, including a fundraising dinner. Enfield Town Vice Chairman Paul Millington believes the charity will have a big impact on the lives of young people living in Enfield. Until now, the club pretty much had to fund coaching sessions by itself, with the help of a couple of generous local benefactors but they have wanted to do far more, and now they can. Here at Enfield Town, we have always wanted to do more than just pay lip service to saying that we are a community club, Paul told the dispatch. We found that the key to doing that was becoming a charity. There have been many hoops to go through. For instance, we had to satisfy the charity commission that the money raised goes to various charitable causes, in our case sporting activities for the residents of Enfield. We have to abide by a strict set of rules in terms of how we use our money. The process took almost a year, but the perseverance has paid off. It's a significant move for us. We've always prided ourselves on being owned by our supporters, but this takes us to the next level helping those who are disadvantaged, either mentally or physically. It will also crucially have the effect of attracting funds from organisations who would be more likely to donate to a registered charity. Already the club is considering asking top-flight clubs across the country to donate signed shirts. The first question we get asked is, what is our charitable registration number, explained Paul. As soon as you give that, it makes a difference. The benefits are huge. Having a charity arm is reasonably common at professional clubs, but not necessarily at non-league level. One immediate knock-on effect would be to assist funding the club's disability squad to take part in a tournament in May. It is being held in Gladbach, which happens to be twinned with Enfield. Paul adds, we are looking to raise £3,000 and are just now kicking off that appeal. Specialist care home planned. 
a specialist care home designed to help older people live independently for longer has won planning permission. Reardon Court Extra Care Home in Cosgrove Close, Winchmore Hill, will provide 91 homes for affordable rent in blocks of up to four storeys high. The self-contained flats, which will mainly be one-bedroom units, will come equipped with a kitchen, bathroom and living space. They will be built around a courtyard featuring trees, communal tables and chairs and a Patank ball game court. Care workers will be available on site around the clock in case any of the residents need assistance. The home is designed to help people live healthily and active lives while allowing them to keep their links to the local community. The old two-storey Reardon Court nursing home, closed in 2016, will be knocked down to make way for the new, larger building. There were four objections to the scheme, with one neighbour calling the building design ugly, but Akram Hamuda, an an associate architect at Pick Everard, defended the plans. He said, it is not something intrusive, it will fit into the context of the surrounding buildings. The extra care home will cater for people with physical and mental health conditions, including dementia. Demand for this type of accommodation is set to rise as the borough's population of over 65s is growing more rapidly than the England average. There are currently 1,435 people over the age of 65 in specialist accommodation in the borough, projected to rise to more than 2,000 people by 2030. As well as helping older people, the scheme is expected to save the council around £740,000 per year on Clare placements. Nine councillors voted in favour of the pounds, one abstained. This article is headed, It is our mission to spread positivity. A kindness fairy has been busy waving her magic wand at a local supermarket, gifting people with a completely free grocery shop. Edmonton Green Shopping Centre descended the fairy into its little store as part of its Pay It Forward campaign, which saw people picked at random to receive their items for free, paid for by the shopping centre. Lee Papadopoulos, Edmonton Green's centre manager, was on hand to help deliver the random acts of kindness. He said, It was a lot of fun rewarding customers with our Pay It Forward campaign. You can't put a price on the reactions of those who receive their shopping for free. It was an extremely heartwarming experience. As a shopping centre at the heart of the community, it is our mission to spread as much positivity as possible and remind people to always be kind. Reverend Jerton of Edmonton Green says... She couldn't believe her luck when the kindness fairy stopped in to pay her for her shopping. She said, I was in complete shock. I had just nipped into Little after being at university for the day and, as usual, ended up getting more than I anticipated. The next thing I know is that a fairy dressed in red came up, tapped me on the shoulder and declared me Customer of the day, I was in complete shock. Nothing like this ever happens to me. It was extremely kind and generous of Edmonton Green to do this. I won't forget it in a hurry, I promise you that. The next item is also by Simon Allen and it has a subheading, Edmonton Green. And the main heading reads, Go ahead for estate revamp. Hundreds of jobs could be created in one of the most deprived parts of the borough 
thanks to an industrial estate development. A £94, £94 million revamp of Montague Industrial Estate will provide modern, energy-efficient buildings for a range of businesses. The scheme is expected to create around 630 jobs and it's also aimed at cutting crime and improving the public realm. In a report, Enfield Council says the 11-hectare estate is occupied by largely poor industrial buildings, some of which date back to the 1950s, and it suffers from congestion. It states that there has been a significant antisocial behaviour and illegal and and unauthorised activity on the estate, and that has had an impact on surrounding residential areas. The redevelopment project was originally approved by the Council's Cabinet in 2016. Since then, planning permission has been granted for Phase 1 of the development, and this will provide eight warehouse units with associated offices, and the work is due to begin in the spring. The Council will partner with Henry Boot Developments in a 50-50 joint venture to redevelop this site. The scheme is expected to boost the Council's rental income to $4.4 million per year in the long term and up from the current yearly figure of $1.2 million. Care firm closed. A company set up by the Enfield Council to provide adult social care is being wound up after less than five years. The council decided to bring the wholly owned company Independence and Wellbeing Enfield, IWE, back into direct local authority control. It comes after IWE struggled to compete with private sector providers and became an administrative burden. The council set up IWE in December 2015 to look after some of the most vulnerable people in the borough while raising income and saving money. One of the main ways it was supposed to bring in extra cash was by providing services to other councils. But a cabinet report said IWE had not been able to develop wider commercial opportunities in a social care market that was extremely challenged by many years of austerity. Several social care firms in Enfield provide services to other councils, as well as the NHS because of lower property prices. Competing with these firms would have meant lowering IWE's staff terms and conditions. Councillors agreed to insource the service at a recent cabinet meeting. Councillor Alev Kazimoglu, cabinet member for health and social care, said it is a very difficult commercial environment for social care providers and bringing the services back in-house would simplify the governance arrangements and is in line with the current administration's policy of insourcing services where it makes sense to do so. While three out of four regulated services provided by IWE are rated good by the Social Care Watchdog, Care Quality Commission inspectors spotted problems at Bridgewood House. Open just two years ago, it was rated requires improvement following inspections in 2018 and 19. Council leader Nezil Kaliskan added, Insourcing demonstrates there are better outcomes for our residents. Outsourcing does not save money for the public sector. We have reached the end of our programme for this week. Thank you for listening 
And so from the team of Colin, Jeffrey, Joan, Sally and Ian on the controls, it's goodbye. goodbye. Please remember to turn over the address label in your postal packet and put the memory stick into the packet in a closed position and return it to us as soon as possible in readiness for the next edition. Don't forget you can call Diane de Jersey regarding any help you may require in connection with Enfield Talking Newspaper on 0208 805 6578. Coming up next, the latest news and information for the Greater London area from InfoSound. The Enfield Talking Newspaper will be with you again in one week's time. <laughs>